United Airlines says, come fly with me on your vacation. We fly to all the great vacation spots in this land, and our 6,000 travel agents have special fares and plans for every single one of them. They can even get you a free United credit card so you can charge it. See one of our travel agents first. Then, come on, come fly our friendly skies. manages your expectations. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Expectations. There's what do we expect to happen, and then there's the classic step in business management these days, which is how do I manage your expectations? Think about that for a second. In business, and maybe in marketing in particular, we have a whole step in our process now where we want to do something new, and so we feel like we need to manage the expectations of others. And let's be honest and clear about this. We don't walk around raising those expectations. When we say we're going to manage expectations, it means that we're going to lower them to a level that we're comfortable performing within. And we rationalize to ourselves that this is really about communication. In fact, if you search on Google about the best practices in managing expectations, it mostly boils down to clearly communicate your intent. We want to be clear, concise, truly communicate what we want to achieve and when. And this is all well and good, but really, if we dig into this, if we're honest, if we're really honest, that next time we're sitting in front of our team or our boss or the client and we're setting and managing expectations, we need to ask ourselves, are we really communicating our expectations or are we lowering theirs? See, our expectations are usually higher. If we're excited about some new innovative thing we want to do, it's because, assumably, our expectations are super high. They're usually off-the-chart cool. This is going to be transformative. Isn't that why we're so excited about this initiative in the first place? But then we allow ourselves to put a damper on it. Let's manage the others and their expectations. Let's under-promise and over-deliver, we convince ourselves. Except it doesn't usually work out that way. We usually deliver the promise that's under our over. See, it's not meeting the self-set expectations we might have had for ourselves. This is also why the term exceeding expectations is such a flawed way to approach delivering a service. It's the equivalent of the question that Nigel Tufnell, the lead guitarist for the mock band Spinal Tap, is asked when he's showing his amplifier that goes to 11. Why don't you just make 10 louder, the interviewer asks. Well, Nigel explains, because this one, it goes to 11. See, if our aim is to go to 11 and exceed expectations, well, maybe our expectations that we're meeting aren't set quite high enough. So there's a psychological approach here called the Pygmalion effect. It's when, as the leader of a person or a team, if we simply hold positive expectations about team members' performance, it can actually lead to better team performance. In studies, researchers have found that simply having high expectations for someone can propel them to better results than others. It changes the way we lead and how those of us are, that are led behave. Pygmalion, of course, is the George Bernard Shaw play where Professor Henry Higgins coaches Eliza Doolittle, the flower girl, into becoming a lady. You might remember the scene from the musical My Fair Lady where she confronts Professor Higgins because he, unlike the other professor, never believed in her actually becoming a lady. You see, Mrs. Higgins, apart from the things one can pick up, the difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she is treated. I shall always be a flower girl to Professor Higgins because he always treats me as a flower girl and always will. But I know I shall always be a lady to Colonel Pickering because he always treats me as a lady and always will. And this is the theme of our show today. Expectations. Are we communicating ours or are we lowering theirs? And just a question to think about. If we were to go raise theirs to match ours, might we get more of what we want? I expect we would. And now it's time for me to manage your expectations. This might be the best hour that you spend all week. 
Joe and I are ready to make you laugh, think a little bit, and generally make your commute or jog or whatever it is you do while you listen to this just a whole bunch better. You ready to expect some awesomeness? Then let's roll. Now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 179 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, April 17th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who will set your content marketing expectations sky high, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Actually, I'll keep them really low. No, that's you got it. You haven't see. You haven't heard the. You haven't I haven't heard, heard, heard it yet. Yeah, I'm always about the, the guy. Yeah, but so I'm. I you know I never. As people know, I never listen to your openings. But you know that in the beginning of you do at some point. Let's be clear. You do it. There, there is a point at which you listen to them, but you just rarely listen to them prior. to No, I, I have never listened to. Them. I don't. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I just take I mean, it for granted that you're doing good work. That's okay, how much I thank trust you. you. Thank you. Oh, yes, you. in the beginning, because I produce, <laughs> so you produce the upfront, you do the show flow, and I That's do right. the post-production. That's how we sort of divvy it up. <laughs> and uh, yes, I do listen to I mean, it. perhaps I shouldn't assume. I, you know, I, I did assume at some point you did actually listen, but, but maybe oh, I shouldn't I, assume. I listen. It's yeah. the yes. The last one was tremendous. I can't remember what it was about. <laughs> I can't even was, remember what it was. It was simply it was so fantastic. <laughs> it was very memorable. Uh, I'm sure from that yes. perspective. No, I, in the beginning of most of my speeches, I always, I always set the audience's expectations very low, and I say, well, look for the one thing you can get. If you get one thing out of this presentation, great. If you get two things, then hopefully I've exceeded your expectations, and you'll rate me as a five. That's right. So that's that's the way that I do it. But you're talking yeah. about high expectations. So do, do I am? Should actually. we set I high am. expectations for this episode? Or I'm setting high expectations for life. And there oh. are there is research that shows that setting high expectations actually helps you achieve more out of your life. That's so totally we, true. I'm I totally buy into that. Yeah, it's uh, you. You know, I mean, you know me in this goal setting thing. It's a life changer. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, people yeah, that absolutely. don't like have their goals written down anywhere and at least would review them on occasion, you are missing out on one of the keys to success in life, in my opinion. That's yeah, all I got. I, <laughs> That's all, that was it. Period. In my opinion, period. Then it's then it's your turn to talk. <laughs> and that's it for episode number 179, folks. That was Stupid. our best episode. Get ever. your podcatcher Brief, going and to the point exceptional. <laughs> Very nice. Um, Very nice. Well then shall we to the news? If uh, we're, we, uh, you know, we've got our upfront uh, sponsor first. Oh we oh my that. goodness gracious, I we I totally forgot. forgot. Absolutely. You know what, folks, we're trying to mix it up a little bit. We're gonna bring a little sponsorship up front and uh, we'll see if you like it. And if you don't, we'll put it back to the whatever. We love to hear go tag this old marketing on Twitter and uh, we'll figure it out. Anyways, thanks to our friends at PowerPost. Welcome to the age of power publishing. I like that. I feel like I'm in match point or something like that. Power publishing. As content marketers, we understand the importance of creating content that not only educates, but inspires consumers to take action. As a result, we have entered a new era of brand Brands as publishers. Uh, Brands, of course. We talk about that all the time. Brands as publishers. Where brands are increasingly, yes, where brands are increasingly becoming publishers in their own right, of course. With brand publishing and content distribution come several key steps to the publishing process. But the elongated process of content creation, review, scheduling, and tracking analytics can often take more time than we have. Built by marketers for marketers, PowerPost is a time saving tool for companies who manage content for multiple brands with multiple users, whether it's in a regulated industry or creative agency. With PowerPost, your team can publish from one location across all of your online platforms, quickly and efficiently turning your brand into a power publisher. You can be at match point. You can be a brand at match point. You're ready. You're playing Martina Navratilova. You're ready to beat her into submission and then 
That's, I, that's, that's that didn't work. How about uh, John McEnroe? Does John McEnroe work better? <laughs> Jimmy Connors. <laughs> I, this is 1994. Episode. Once it's timeline back, I think. Okay, Andre Agassi. Wanna... I don't know the new no. ones. Uh, who's or a, Roger Federer? N- or... Yeah, Nadal. Okay, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Pete Sampras. Yeah. It's still in the nineties. Okay, whatever. Pete Sampras. <laughs> Yvonne Lendl. That's that's. There you the, go. I'm totally dating. Billie myself. Jean King. Billie Jean King. Boy, I remember her. Yeah. Uh, to help with Brad's excellent publishing, join us for a webinar on May 9th with me. It, oh, with me, <laughs> CMI founder Joe Polinzi. It's me. I'm gonna. We're gonna talk about how to conquer the five pillars of brand publishing: content planning, workflow, distribution, analytics, conversion. And to sign up for this wonderful webinar and get more information, go to cmi.media/pnr179. That's cmi.media/pnr179. That's for the webinar on May 9th. I will be a part of that webinar. You're definitely going to want to be there. Thanks to PowerPost uh, for making this thing happen. So uh, that's a great way to start off the show. You know what? It is a wonderful way to start off the show. And it it just goes to show you that you not only don't listen to my intros, you also don't read the ad copy before we start production. So That's not true. But what is true (laughs) is that I'm going to get a call from our friends at PowerPost. They're just going to say, tennis? Really? Like, is that is this what you did to our ad? Like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Well, you just say, it was all in the love. It was. It was. Yeah. And, and you we, sh- you know, we're, we're, we need more, uh, we're, we're targeting the tennis aficionado portion of there our audience go. with this one. Anyways, let's just get out of this as quickly as we can. <laughs> do we have any no, uh, news this week? We Hopefully do we have did. some news. Please. And not that we need to continue the silliness, but our top story that we're going to cover on the show this week uh, is something that we both got tons of uh, tweets. So thank you for that. A um, few emails, a few LinkedIn direct messages. I think I saw a banner. There was a, I a think blimp there was and a banner. A banner. Yeah, and and by the way, I, you know, given the source of all of this, I, I, I actually do want you to get some credit here um, because as wrong as you are, the <laughs> fact that this is a thing right now is 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 really a testament i think um so the 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 headline of course that we'll link to in the show notes is rumors are that apple is going to buy disney um this were the the war there was many articles but the one we'll link to in the show notes comes from businessinsider.com and it opens up by saying apple's cash pile of more than 200 billion is a favorite topic of investors bloggers and traders it might be the largest cash reserve for any private company in history So what is Apple going to do with all that dough? Well, one theory is that Apple will use its stockpile to buy Disney, according to RBC analyst Stephen Cahal. And uh, he sent out a note to his clients with quotes like, you know, um, you know, bulls think it portends well for a swan song exit via sale to a giant like Apple, Cahal wrote in his note. And so it goes on to explain how this, you know, is an interesting, you know, I guess rumor that we can talk about, and this is something that obviously you have made a call on. I don't know, a year and a half or two years ago when you said this, and uh, and the internet is a Twitter, as it were, um, over this rumor, and basically everybody's talking about it. So I give you the floor, Senator Polizzi. Well, the the first thing I would like to say is this is just a matter of time. No, this it's is, not. I feel it's like not. I'm reading something that's going to happen in the next six months to a year. It is uh, just, not. It, it is absolutely going to happen. And I'm a little disappointed, I have to tell you, as I was reading this article, that uh, they give credit to, and, and by the way, Samantha Greenberg, uh, he, uh, founder of hedge fund Margate Capital, yeah. love that she mentions this in her fourth quarter 2016 investor letter. But you and I both know that we've been talking about this on this show, even because even though you have not liked it at all, we have been talking about this issue for years, and now the yeah. general public, the, the the financial markets are are, are they're catching up to they're, they're, catch, they're finally catching up to this old marketing. It's about right. time if they yeah. would just and I you know we should find out if uh, if Samantha Greenberg from Margate Capital <clears throat> is a listener. I really would like to know. How'd she get this tremendously awesome idea 
that this is actually going to happen. <laughs> so anyway, so for those people that don't know, just let you. I'm just going to let you spool out the I'm, rope. Oh yeah, and we're then just going <laughs> to just yank it back. <laughs> it's just at some point. Yeah, basically, I have the floor for the next 40 minutes. End of show. <laughs> this is how we're going. Now, uh, basically, for those of you that don't know, Apple has been focusing on original and syndicated content more and more over the la- uh, last couple of years, and that's why the con the 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 idea came up with the fact that Apple has over $200 billion in cash and could buy Disney and still have a lot of that uh, left over. No, they can't. That's the whole point. Yes, they on. can. Yes, no, they, they can. can't. They have to go into debt to do it, and they're not going to do that. Okay, hold on. What's the market cap of Disney? To the, the selling price would be somewhere north of $230 billion for Disney. $230 billion? Correct. So they would have to go into debt to be able to do it. And, and they could. Mm. There's certainly, there absolutely, okay. there are a million places they can borrow money from. But I'm just they, saying. But they, well, I'm, it okay. would be the biggest, it would it would basic, and by the way, they would have to repatriate all that cash. They'd have to, you know, they'd have to make a deal with the Trump administration to say, hey, we're going to bring all this cash back, but you can't tax us on it. That I understand. The repatriation is an issue. But I do want to mention that as of today, 417 2017 the market cap for Walt Disney Company is 180 billion dollars right on the nose. If right, they were to pay at paying a 40 they were going to pay a 40% premium on it. That's the general estimates is that you'd pay a 40% premium on that on that on that market cap. I think that's a little high. I think they could get I, a, I think they could I, do it at 25 to 30% and still have a couple billion dollars in pocket chains left over. <laughs> By the way, Walt Disney Company has cash as well, so they would assume some of that money. So, I'm just saying, it's only a matter of time. But you it's do not. now. What do, what do you have a problem? Why do you have a problem with this? Do you think it's just not going to happen because it's I too big of a deal? I don't have a problem deal? with it. I, I certainly I, I'm not ish, you know wishing them any ill will or anything for for doing it. I just don't believe it's going to happen because I think Apple looks at look if you if you said apple buys netflix that i buy um because that's a 50 to 70 billion dollar purchase that doesn't deplete their cash reserves they could certainly repatriate some of the cash that they hold overseas to make that purchase and it makes a lot more sense with where they're going from a direct to audience perspective to me Buying up and dealing with the hassle of spinning out ESPN and all that other stuff to get the little jewels known as Pixar and Lucasfilm and and the Disney you know historical library to me just doesn't make any sense. The other thing, and this is this is sort of the entertainment industry guy in me, you know the the old television guy in me coming back. They don't want to piss off every other television and media company out there. They, the, Apple needs them to be friendly. Apple needs Sony to be friendly. Apple needs to, uh, Warner and Time Warner to be a friendly, you know, a friendly face when it comes to licensing content for their other platforms. And if they go buy Disney, well, then that just spurs them on no, to sort of turn off. They do not. That, well, they when do. has Apple they been do. friendly? What? What? They, well, no, no, no. They've been fr- they've been unfriendly to everybody equally, right? And so, but now if they go be friendly to one person, you know, namely Disney in particular, then then the whole thing goes, you know. I mean, look, I, <laughs> it's one look of those it, this is this is a, this is a sure thing. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll end with this because I know yeah. you don't like talking about this. No, no, I love talking certain, about it. Okay, this was going to yeah. happen. So the stock market is at a is at pretty close to an all time high. I mean, it has a, it's been a little yes. bit up and up and down over the past couple of months, but it is Correct. pretty close to an all time high. We're due for a slight correction in the market. Of course, let's of just course. say the market, which I think we could all expect, a ten to fifteen percent dip in the market would not be unrealistic. Would you agree with that? I would agree with. Okay, that. Okay, let's just say that there's a ten to fifteen percent. Let's even say a ten percent dip in the overall value of Walt Disney. That would bring the price of Walt Disney down to between 150 and 160 billion dollars. And that it could even go lower than that. Then at a 40% premium, you're well in your ballpark. So that's when it's going to happen. That's when it's going to. So so when just so everybody let's let's just put this on record. Take a deep breath, put it on record. <laughs> when when we see this correction in the stock market, that's when you will see some activity around this. I will buy you the biggest steak dinner that I can even think of. 
if this happens. That's that's I will I buy am, you a beautiful I am already steak on Yelp. A, I'm already a, on Yelp looking for the the there best. There you go. And I will buy you a bottle of Tito's vodka so that you can actually make your Tito's and tonic right there at the table. I will in fact make your cocktails for you during Oh my dinner. god, you heard it here folks. He's going to make a Tito's <laughs> well, now, and tonic with Well, if it doesn't it's out now we have to have a time limit on this and we have to have a quid pro quo. Because you have to come back with something. I'll let you think about that. Well, we you, have to think about it do. because, uh, man, I'm taking all the risk on. You're just saying no. I mean, you just like saying no to everything. No, 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 no. I mean, it, you, have to, you, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. You, the, the bet ha- is a little bit uneven. Oh, Disney's going you, to acquire I mean, somebody. It's not going to be – I'll put it this way. Disney's going to – or excuse me, Apple's going to acquire somebody. It's just not going to be Disney. Oh, you, so you think it's like a Netflix versus a Disney. So Correct. you're but I won't now I won't go on record as saying Netflix because there's a lot of problems with buying Netflix but but you know and Netflix doesn't quite frankly need to be bought right now they're doing just fine thank you very much but but I think there's that's there Apple will buy a media company this year how about that it just won't be Disney I'll tell you what I'm sorry Netflix's market cap is 63 billion dollars today there is no way you can compare. I mean, that basically it's a third of the value. There's there's I way know. there's I way know. there's way more asset value in Disney. It's than, a focused business, is what it is. Oh, man, you got to think. <laughs> I've been telling you, you got to think outside the box. Big. You're setting my expectations you gotta think, bigger. I, you got to <laughs> think. Yeah, that's right. You're not following the opening of the show that I'll never listen to. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Do we? Is that it? Is that the only? And that's, of the week? that's that's all I got. Thank that's you, by I the got. way. To Bernie yeah. Borges sent this to me. I mean, like a hundred people. Sent oh yeah, it to so me. many people. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you all for sending this and alerting me of of what will happen. It, yeah, it's it's like seeing the future today. All right. Yeah, we're going to move on to the next okay. story. Then. Let's do that. <laughs> so speaking of Netflix. Um, and, uh, 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 abs- I mean, we just have to, you know, it's like somebody puts care and feeding into the sequencing of these things. So, and big hat tip, by the way, here to Thomas Hefke. I hope you're pronouncing your name right, Thomas, uh, at uh, T-H-E-F-K-E on the Twitter. Um, he sent us in this wonderful, wonderful uh, article that we'll talk about next, which the headline reads, Netflix has a billion-dollar new business that it's starting to explore. Um, again, sort of coincidentally coming from businessinsider.com, and the story opens up by saying, Netflix has a potential standalone billion-dollar revenue opportunity selling merchandise based on its popular shows according to rbc's and there's our somebody must have went down the hall at rbc and went hey say some like controversial stuff we need some press <laughs> we need some so, content here we need some yeah we need some traffic here get us get hey mark <laughs> Mark, you and K Hall, go do some stuff. Um, so RBC's Mark Mahaney um, re- uh, wrote this report and talked about a billion dollars viewing as this is a highly reasonable step by Netflix to further promote and market its original content and other offerings. Um, analysts led by Mahaney wrote this in a note to their clients, basically talking about how Netflix is getting into the product oriented business to sell merchandise. Um, and I just thought this was fascinating. What did you think? Uh, first of all, before I forget, uh, you know, just back onto the whole tennis thing. If you haven't read the Andre Agassi uh, autobiography, you have to read it. It's the best ever. I don't know why I just thought about that, but it is amazing content. Now back to this topic that you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about. This yes. is the, I wanted this to be the tennis show. I'm just going to throw that out there on occasion. I have, you know, this, and we've covered it on this show. I have in my living room the business model of Walt Disney Company. Yes, I mean, I'm right. a huge Walt Disney Company fan, not for Mickey Mouse or Star Wars, although I, you know, I love I love both of those uh, iconic brands. Uh, I, I love the business model. It is it is the business model that is a lot, basically a lot of the basis for the new book coming out. And they are Netflix. If they just follow a portion of Walt Disney's business model, there are billions right now on the sidelines, and this is one of them. Merchandising is one of them. And they're testing it out here with Stranger Things. And from what I mean, the links that I went to at Hot Topic uh, Department Store, which is sort of like Spencer's of today or Spencer's, yeah, right. of, yeah. Spencer's of 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> if, if Spencer's came around in 2009, it would be called Hot Topic. Yeah, so, there we go. Yeah, exactly. 
And so they're selling Stranger Things uh, memorabilia and coffee cup cups and all kinds of stuff in that. So they're testing it out. It's going to work. And they have a number of content, valuable content brands on their platform. And they should be saying, well, well how else can we monetize this? And you know, just to throw out another thing, there's a new book coming out in September called Killing Marketing, which mm. we talk about 10 different ways that you can monetize a content platform, monetize an, an audience around a, a content brand. And net, where the value is in Netflix, so we just talked about the market cap being whatever, $63 billion, the untapped opportunity for them to grow faster than they're growing right now is for them to look at the other eight ways that they can generate revenue that they're not generating right now. That's and, right. And so that's why I love this. And they're going to, just like every other brand that has an audience and has built a, you know, trust and loyalty around a content brand, you can monetize it in so many different ways and they're able to do that. So I don't know if you have the same take with this, but that's what I, I took out of it. I'm like, I, I it, do. It's about to, I read this and I said, it's about time. I mean, they're hiring a person to run licensing for Netflix. At least that's what the article talks about. And I'm like, about why didn't they do this a year ago? Whatever. It's fine. Good for them. You know, I think they've, they've finally, you know, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, there, there may be many reasons why they haven't done it as yet. Um, and now just starting it, but it strikes me that they're sort of hitting a, tipping point, if you will, of where they have enough original content to really justify a scaling business, right? In other words, if it was just Stranger Things or just um, one of the other original shows, then you'd go, okay, you know, but now they have, I mean, they have a full library now and, and, and a pipeline coming down that is, you know, that is huge. And so it feels like they now, it's basically, it feels like they made the decision, okay, now we have a business, now we have a real business, right? Now we have a scalable thing. Let's actually, let's actually go do it. The thing that I wanted to comment on is, um, and I agree 110% with everything you just said. To me, what's so funny is, is that how this really isn't that newsworthy, Right. The, yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 interesting. And for, you know, us inside baseball types, we love this and we sort of follow it. And, you know, as as fanboys, we go, this is interesting. Look at this, this is a business model. And here we are. And it's in our book. And yay. And we look at that. Imagine if this had been Starbucks or imagine if this had been just, you know, another product company who announced that they were going to start a billion dollar media company. And and basically create media out of all of their product brands, and how what, how, what kind of news that would be, mm -hmm. right? And and to me, it's just that is the that's where we are right now. Is is that as product brands continue to sit along the sidelines and really not avail themselves of this to a to a great degree. We're, they're watching media companies sort of evolve around them into these vertically integrated platforms where they can actually create the multiple ways that, you know, sort of we prescribe in the book, certainly, but that are basically evolving around them to, to go compete with them. And, you know, whether you're a clothing or a fashion company or whatever starts, you know, products they start to offer out, you know, if you're a clothing brand or a fashion brand or a toy brand or those kinds of things, Netflix is going to become an interesting, weird competitor for you in the next coming, you know, couple of years. And, and it's just a fascinating thing for me to watch why this, why we're still in this mindset, culturally, we're still in this mindset where when a media company does this, we go, yeah, of course, that makes total sense. I totally get it. You know, yeah. Of course they would merchandise this. Why didn't they do it sooner, we ask, right? And But when a company, a product company does this, we go, what? This it's crazy. That you can't. Isn't do that, that something? You're right. That's why. That's that's why we. What was it? Was it last episode we talked? That's why we're not there. We're still early days. Yeah. And when we come to the point where, of course, then we'll know we're there. When they say, "Of right. course, yeah, of course," Starbucks should have a media company, media arm to their business. Of course. No, the one thing that. Looking at the opportunity, and I'm pulling this directly from the introduction of our book, so I'm not going to hopefully give away too much, but you and I have talked about this. From yeah. 1977 to 2015, before the Disney release of Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars movies pulled in just over $5 billion in ticket sales. During that same period, merchandising sales were $12 billion. Right. 
that thus is the opportunity. Put that into Netflix perspective right now. Whatever the revenue number that they have from subscription dollars. And then think about the merchandise and capability. Star Wars is right. one. Now, the margin, is much, the margin is smaller, but it's still yes, the point exactly. is valid. Right. A- absolutely. But yeah, totally different business model in itself, but fairly profitable. Um, and and at, at that point, when you, t- when you have a content platform, you actually should be diversifying into different areas. So Netflix, they have to be at the point where they're looking at, look, we need to drive three, four, five different revenue streams from this quickly to diversify just in case, like, for example, what's happened with ESPN. ESPN is going to be just fine because they're fairly well diversified. If they lose some subscribership from the cable networks, they're going to be fine with all the other things that they're doing. So, yes, as long as, well, if they can figure out an original, if they can figure out an original content play, you know, if they continue to overpay for licensing content from the NFL and MLB and and NBA, then they're, you know, then there's, they're toast. Well, they should, they, they should, maybe they should just buy the NFL. Ooh, well, you know, who knows? (laughs) Yeah. By By the way, that's, those types of things are in play today. Those, those types of things you don't, you would never, you like, (laughs) We shouldn't be surprised that we just asked that question because those are the things that we need to start thinking about. Well, would 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 the largest sports media organization buy a franchise? Well, I, I, I don't see why not. Right. It's an interesting, very interesting. Maybe they could uh, buy the Las Vegas um, Raiders. Raiders. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I take it by the Cleveland Browns. Certainly can't get any worse. <laughs> Just putting that out there with draft day, with our Super Bowl coming up next week, by the way. Uh, uh, the, oh, your draft day? Our draft day is our Super Bowl. There you go. That's, it's, it's the most opening day is nothing compared to draft day. We always yes. get excited. We have two first round picks again this year. This is awesome. This is great. It's going to be like, amazing. It's yeah. like it's going to be better than winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's move on to okay. our uh, last uh, article for this week's show. And this comes to us courtesy of TheMediaBriefing.com. Um, the headline here is Six Strategic Lessons for Publishers Moving Beyond the Article. Article opens up by saying, Last month saw the publication of a new report by the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism exploring how news organizations are going beyond the article through distributed publishing, messaging apps, and chatbots, virtual reality, and mobile-first video. Written by Kevin Anderson, an international media and communications consultant and regular contributor to the media briefing, this paper offers global insights into emerging opportunities for new revenue streams and new storytelling formats. This uh, article then goes on to describe this basically six key lessons, lots of takeaways here for marketers about this going and beyond the article, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What'd you think about this? Any takeaways here? A couple, a couple takeaways, sure. I mean, the, the first thing that I wrote down was size does not um, uh, impede innovation or um, it's, it's not a determining factor of innovation. So they were talking about in this opening is like, you could be the New York times, you could be a small startup and it, it doesn't really matter. They don't see a difference there. What I would say and correct that is I think it's easier if you're smaller, of course, it's much harder to innovate. So I don't know if they got that quite perfectly uh, correct. But what I loved in the examples throughout this was Quartz. So if you're not familiar with Quartz as the online platform, they are doing some amazingly innovative work. And actually, that's why we've got uh, the publisher from Quartz presenting a content marketing world to talk about how they're looking at their, their own content brand and monetizing that. But Brian Dell from Quartz, quote, uh, Quartz says this, and I love this. Their goal is not to marry commercial and editorial, but to first offer a great quartz experience. I just thought you would love that. <laughs> Take yeah, that's exact. No, that's it's it's his head is in the right spot for sure. Absolutely. Right, and then and then once we offer this amazing experience, then we can look at the model and say, okay, well, how do we monetize that? And I think if you look at it that way, it's very hard to do that. By the way, because you you immediately want to say, okay, well, shoot, here's our content. What are we going to sell? But you got to remember, you've got to build that loyal relationship with that audience first and really see what, what your – and your audience will ultimately tell you what they're willing to buy, and Quartz has, has done that. And the last thing, and you said this – you say this in your present in your masterclass presentations, and you say, said it many times on this show. Focus on what you need to stop doing. So what they talked about in this was that uh, 
innovative publishers that are doing really well are making some critical decisions to stop doing a number of things yep, so they can absolutely. open time up for innovation. And that is, I, I mean, I, you and I can't talk about that enough about you're not going to get any more resources or any more time in your day. You already are doing 100% of your job or maybe more. So you have, to, in order to make an impact and create these amazing experiences, you're going to have to stop doing stuff. That's maybe the most important thing you can do for the rest of the year is what are two or three things that I should just simply stop doing. And the one thing right. that, that I talked about in my last presentation, you've heard me rant on social media. And I'm saying, you know, I think it, right now is a time when you could start looking at maybe, maybe organic social media is not where you should be spending your time. Maybe you should be, maybe you should be spending time building out your own platform or, or creating a great experience that you have more control over. So that, those are the three takeaways. Did you get something you get big? Some takeaways? I mean, yeah, I, I, I love that so much. It's, you know, it's basically just setting big goals, right? Setting larger goals than to incrementally increase our Twitter follower count by 10 this week, right? Which is where I see so many marketing organizations focus these days. They're just focused on very small things instead of solving really big challenges. Um, I mean, and, and to, just to this, just to that point, my, the one, the one that I loved so much, the takeaway that I loved was this, um, the headline they give it is monetizing innovation, the data opportunity and where they talk about this, uh, the quote I love that's from the author of the report. He says the industry, meaning the publishing industry, the industry wasted valuable time pursuing a scale game that they could never win against Google and Facebook. And now many companies have shifted to focusing on loyalty. They're focusing on the users who spend the most time with them or even more importantly, their subscribers or people they have some other commercial relationship with. And I think that's such an important thing with attention being such a premium these days, you know, and this is something else I talk about in the masterclass a lot, which is once you've gotten somebody's attention, it is just easier to start to hold and maintain that attention over time than it is to grab their attention, hope that they're ready to buy your stuff, and then, you know, and then if they're not, figure out some other way to reach them at some other time and get through that friction and all the stuff you had to go through, that morass of social media, television, print, just to get the attention of that person to begin with and try and do it again. And try and mm -hmm. do it again, and try and do it again. But it's yet that's exactly what most businesses are doing with these campaigns. Are just trying to get attention, trying to get attention, trying to get attention, trying to get. It's like a four-year-old that's just tugging at your, you know, at your sleeve, and you're just you just slowly get annoyed with it. Instead of once they have your attention, once you have that audience's attention, it's just better to focus on delivering a smaller focused ability to have them do something with you, right? To just really deliver value to that very focused audience. It's in, in the masterclass, I talk about this. This is where marketers have an advantage over media companies because media companies right now need the scale. They need the eyeballs. They need the advertising revenue. They need the, you know, they need the, you know, women 18 to 34. They have to have that broad audience. As marketers, we don't. We don't need women 18 to 34. We need Mary, the mother of, you know, a four-year-old who lives out in, and they live out in the suburbs and they're looking for this particular product. And this, you know, that's, we need, it's very specific. And if we can deliver value to that very specific audience, we don't need the advertising revenue. We need them to do something, which is just quite frankly, hold their attention long enough that they come around to understanding that our solution is the one that they need. And it's, it's simple math. And it's that focus on quality is such an important piece, and I was glad to see it as part of this uh, part of this report. Well, I love that you said that because that's why you and I <clears throat> talked about this as being such a huge opportunity: content marketing, uh, brand publishing, whatever you want to call it. It's such a huge opportunity because brands are playing by different rules. Right. They're playing exactly a they right. can play a different game, and most publishers are bound by dated rules that they continue to follow and it's going to drive them right into the grave and brands don't have to deal with that i mean obviously you've got politics and you got buy-in you got all that stuff but you don't need to sell advertising you don't need to sell direct subscriptions to be successful you don't need to scale in the way that you talked about <laughs> exactly so what a huge opportunity and that's where we're going to be laughing about this in five years like <laughs> sure like, i can't believe we were talking about this it's so we'll simple. be going to the 
the Apple Disney theme park where we'll have little Apple themed like wristbands around our when we go to the when we go to the theme park. Is that you right? You know, I almost get I almost get teary eyed. Uh, thinking about that, but the, you know, Pixar and Apple scary. coming back together. You know, Steve Jobs, yeah. two creations coming back together. Oh, it's, it's, it's hard to think about. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, before you get too verklempt, let's move on to our rants and rave Absolutely. section. This is your favorite part of the show, folks. It's where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant. We're a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, we have great expectations or something that feels like, please, sir, may I have another? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, let's see. Um, I guess uh, you're going first because you have this. It's unbelievable. This week. Yes, it's, I, know. I know. It's Hard to another believe, first, ladies and gentlemen. I know. It's, uh, it might be the first of the year. Uh, I've got a, I've get a, uh, a ranted rave I'm going to talk about in a second, but just a real quick shout out. To our wonderful friend from Lincoln Electric Company, Craig Coffee, friend of the show. Oh, I love Craig Coffee. So you, you won't believe this. I received Crane's Cleveland Business today. This is the April 17th to 23rd, 2017 version. And here's a Q&A with Craig Coffee about ARC Magazine. About their magazine. They're, be, they're getting Brilliant. coverage. Yes. Yeah, so basically, just to give you a little bit of uh, detail, the, the article starts out, the United States is losing 60,000 welders a year to old age and attrition, and Craig Coffey hopes a magazine can fix that. That's ARC Magazine from Lincoln Electric. And there's just a couple things I wanted to um, shout out that Craig said. He says in this Q&A, uh, we have outside talent write all our cover stories because unlike us, they can get outside the conversation about our products. As marketers, we can't help but get in our way. Sometimes you can lose that perspective if you're doing all the writing in-house. We want to entertain, educate, and inform. Then we can sell. If the content is good enough, you'll forgive us for putting ads in the magazine. I just thought that was an interesting take from Craig. And this mm-hmm. last one he says is, uh, if I tried to put ads in a commercial publication or a trade journal, the audience isn't as ke- keenly focused as this. We looked at Popular Mechanics as a vehicle that cost $60,000 for a single-page ad. That's two issues of ARC Magazine. I'd rather own the audience, own the media, own the advertising delivery, rather than capture a little bit of somebody's attention when they're talking about a broader topic. I just thought that was nice. That's that he really said great. That. So shout out to, to Craig. Uh, for getting their PR around a magazine and a print magazine at that. So they're building out their digital platform as we speak as well. So that's um I that- absolutely love that. So I tell that story in the in in the class, especially the 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 video series that they're doing now, which is just spectacularly beautiful. It's just a it's just a great piece. They're doing yeah, doing some great. So Craig, yeah. keep it up. Great work. Keep fighting the good fight. Um, here's my rant, uh, rant and rave. And um, so, you you know, we're coming up out here in the end of April and into May, and we've started seeing parents and friends announce where their child is going to college. So you've seen it on Facebook, I'm sure, Robert. I certainly have. Of yeah. course. And, and we have this year, we have a few CMI staff parents that are very proud of where their children are going, and we're very proud of them and want to congratulate them. But... <laughs> I always say, but maybe, no, but maybe, but maybe, uh, this, this also, this time also gives me a, a bit of pause. And I recently listened to a podcast featuring journalist, author, and speaker, Malcolm Gladwell of, uh, you know, tipping, the tipping point outliers, David versus Goliath. I've read them all. Love them. Um, and his belief, and he was talking on the podcast that the college system should be blown up and that kids that graduate high school should simply look for places where, Interesting people are hanging out and be part of an interested group that constantly asks questions, constantly questions everything. So that's what he was talking about. Now, you know, whether or not you agree with Mr. Gladwell's feelings about college doesn't matter. What I believe is the issue here is that for most people who can afford college, there's no choice in college. Yes, there's a choice of which college, but not many people I talk to now, which is different than 50 years ago, but today, not many people I talk to are questioning college itself. And is success in life predicated on going to college? Now, for some, maybe, but for others, you know, I don't think that's the case. And, I'm, and I, I guess I just don't like the fact that we've defaulted into, um, you know, that's what we do. We go to college uh, when there are a thousand other options available, including working, leaving, learning a trade, living internationally, backpacking across Europe, being an apprentice, you know, going to the Peace Corps, whatever, right? So so what does this have to do with marketing? So I'll bring it around. And 
you know, and Robert and my upcoming book, Killing Marketing, the entire first chapter is dedicated to asking the simple question, what if everything we know to be true about marketing is actually what's holding back our business? So that's how we started. And, you know, as I learned at Penn State, uh, the Latin phrase tabula rasa from Aristotle, which means blank slate. So what if we started with a clean slate in marketing? Would, would marketing look like it does now? So what I'm trying to teach my kids, you know, whether it's about marketing or about college, is to simply ask the question, should, should which college be the default question or should it be, is college the right choice? And in marketing, should the question be around advertising or social media or sales collateral or should we question how we actually go to market? So I think that the too many marketers have been taught that marketing is this certain thing and we need to operate within it. And I think what Robert and I are finding out about marketing is that the marketing we have been strategizing and executing over the past 20, 30, 50 years actually isn't marketing like it was meant to be. <laughs> right. And some of us need to stand up and question it. So that's my ranty, ravey thing that I want. I love I've, been, it. I've been on the whole college thing. And I just wanted to make that relevant to, to marketing because I really do feel we should be asking the questions about whether we're, we're doing this marketing thing correctly or not. So. Yeah, I think, well, no, you're, I mean, you, as you know, because we wrote a book together on it, it's, I, I agree with that 100%. I'm a, you know, here's the thing with college, it's a, I, I couldn't agree more that the system needs to be blown up because, you know, as has become ever more clear, we're, you know, we're now preparing kids for, you know, things that don't exist when they go in. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the world is moving much faster than the university systems are moving. And there's sort of a dual trend there of universities and education becoming a problem of not preparing us the way that it, we, you know, certainly the way when we graduated college and what it prepared us for. But at the same time, there's sort of a, and this is really what I, you know, when I think of university, I think of that classic line that university isn't tell, isn't there to tell you what to think. It's there to tell you how to think, right? And there is a real risk of, of losing critical thinking in, in universities these days. And, and, you know, that gets us off into a, a whole other show. Well, quite yeah, frankly, I mean, but, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, there's lots of reasons to go to university, right? There's, I mean, yeah, you, I mean, I, I spent seven years in, uh, in undergraduate and graduate school. And I know that a lot of becoming those things, better at your job is not one of them. Well, yes, that, that, I mean, let's just put it that way. I mean, you, yeah, if you can get out of there more mature, I mean, God knows when I went into college, I was not mature. I used, I mean, needed to, to mature, to grow up, to get responsibility, to start figuring out what the heck I wanted to be and, and what the thing, the things that I stood for, I guess all I'm saying with the college thing is just ask the question. No, it's, it's not absolutely. There, well, there are many the whole options. point of college is there, to just ask the question. Just ask that's the question the, about everything. Yeah, exactly. Question everything. And, that, and my kids are going to, and my teachers are going to love my kids because I always tell them, ask the question. Ask why you're doing something. Right. Ask why this wasn't considered. Ask, I mean, always ask the question. And that's how we grow. So yeah. ask the question about marketing, please, for the love of God, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and you, my friend, have a rant and a rave, I believe. I do. I I do have I do have a rant and a rave. Um, I'm going to start with the rave, um, just because it's it, it's quick here. This um, so our good friend Doug Kessler over at Velocity uh, Partners um, sent me a link of something that they did, and I just you know I mean I mean look he's you know if full disclosure here friend and family of the show he's been a friend of ours for a long time yep. and but I'm still going to rave about it anyway because quite frankly it's just brilliant um one of the things that i often talk about in in my keynote is this idea i mean speaking exactly to what you were just ranting about which is this we haven't evolved marketing and 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 much of it i i sort of use the metaphor of marshall McLuhan and how marshall McLuhan at one point talked about the old, you know, when new media come along, new mediums come along, we tend to look at it through our old, he called them old stereos, the old eyes, instead of asking how it'll fundamentally transform us. And when we look at what we've done with digital, we've pretty much followed that recipe to a T, right? We still call them web, web pages and we still, you know, ebooks and we still have websites and, and all of this. And we sort of took the, 
sort of analog world that we had and the way that we experienced media, even to the point of television, and just shoved it into a web, web browser instead of asking what it is we can actually do. And so making small progressions along that sort of just inspire me. And he sent over this thing, and we'll link to it in the show notes, which is basically just a, a new way to look at storytelling and B2B, you know, and it's, you know, at its core, it's nothing that you haven't seen before. It's, you know, it's basically you page through a very slide share sort of carousel type of interface um, on the web, but the way that they tell the story here and the way that it sort of evolves in this web interface just truly is using the web the way the web should be used. And it's just, it's just a wonderful storytelling platform um, that they've put together here. And it's, you know, it's a little meta because it's a story about them telling this story and, and sort of teaching you how to use the platform as you do it. And so it's just, a, it's just really cool. And I just wanted to give it a big shout out because I think it's just, again, something from... Uh, Kessler and the Velocity Partners crew that's just annoyingly clever. It's yeah, we're getting tired of it. We're yeah. getting tired of all we're the getting good a things little, that yeah, they're it's doing. A little it annoying. needs to stop. Yep. It just absolutely <laughs> needs to stop. Um, you know, go Brexit or something. What you know, go find something, <laughs> do something to do um, instead of being so damn smart. Um, anyway, so that's that. So um, go, we'll link to it in the show notes. Go check it out. It's just really interesting. The second is a bit of a rant. Um, and this, the, what we'll link to in the show notes, um, comes from Adweek. Um, and I want to give a big hat tip here to Doug Schumacher, who is um, a fellow uh, Los Angelino um, and at Meme Runner on Twitter, uh, just to give him a big shout out there. Thank you for sending this over, Doug. So it, basically, this the headline of the article is, here's the problem with that content studio you just built. And this is a, a it's, it's on Adweek um, in their agency spy column. And, and basically, it's a guest post written by the head of content at a, wait for it, content marketing or branded content agency. And he basically says in the article, it opens up by saying, hey, great branded content is really tough. I've been in this space for more than 15 years, and the biggest mistake I've made or seen other people make is thinking that it's simple. If you just build the right machine, rent a cool space in Brooklyn, you can churn out effective branded content. This flawed assumption has also given rise to one of the greatest plagues of our time, the branded content studio, second only to programmatic advertising and its destructive capability. Well, there he and I may actually have an agreement on, but the branded content studio he goes on in you know another 750 words and basically slams why brands would ever consider ever think about building a branded content studio internally because of course of course they can't get out of their own way and tell compelling stories and he uses the pepsi um sort of debacle as the as the sort of evidence yeah, of, of this and he said you know of course you have to have people who can tell stories creative types who you know like me who can actually tell your story creatively and blah blah you know it it reads like one big love letter to agencies and you know of my my challenge with this of course is that you know it, this we're talking people here not models um you know as he says i've worked on academy award winning movies and i can tell you that real entertainment arises from deeply experienced professionals well those deeply experienced professionals can work at a brand too i just you know we may not be, look we talked about this last week on the show where we said look pepsi may not be good at this yet this may have been a false start for them this may have been a bit of a stumble but they'll get it they will un they, they will develop this people make mistakes and people who work for companies make mistakes and the branded content studio is not at fault here so just like we don't sort of condone the idea of saying oh look somebody failed at content marketing therefore content marketing doesn't work that's not true just because somebody failed with an internal project doesn't mean the whole model of building an internal content studio doesn't work it's just you have to you have to look at the people and you have to look at the talent i've seen plenty of crap that comes out of agencies trust me i've seen plenty of crap that comes out of agencies and I'm not going to pick on this guy's agency because I actually did go look at their portfolio and there's some questionable stuff there. But, you know, regardless, the whole point here is, is that everybody is capable of producing crap, not just internal to brands. It's not just a problem with brands. And, and I think the internal content studio is an interesting and viable model when it's done well. And this article doesn't do that any favors. So. Yeah. I mean, we, we just recorded this hour podcast We're we're proof that crap can be created <laughs> pretty, pretty darn easily. Set your expectations higher, <laughs> exactly. my friend. That's what I have to say to you. Oh, I love that. I haven't read that article. I'm going to have to do that. 
it. So. Yeah, it'll it take you five minutes. And oh, it'll be, okay. You'll be uh, you'll be slightly less annoyed than I was. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, I uh, I can't believe it, but I have this old marketing this week. I'm. It's amazing. It's a. It's. It is amazing. It is amazing, and I you know it's hard to believe we haven't covered this one as a Tom, but I believe this is a good one. So this is Mint. Uh, personal finance software service Mint officially launched in September of 2007, and in November of 2009, just a few years later, Intuit uh, bought Mint for 170 million dollars. Wow, that's a good three-year run. That's a, wow. Um, that's amazing. At the time, Mint had over one million users and was adding a few thousand new users every day. So, as a scrappy startup in 2007. What Mint did here, and this is the content marketing connection, they launched Mint Life as their content brand. Mint Life was a blog that answered personal finance questions. And they didn't have a big budget, but to to create content on a tight budget, the team invited finance bloggers to write uh, on their blogs. They sponsored other financial blogs, and those tactics eventually helped Mint attract 20,000 email subscribers. So not huge for a business-to-consumer company, but 20,000 is nothing to sneeze at. They did a good job in a short period of time. And then to fine-tune the creation process without wasting money, uh, the company seeded its content on popular distribution sites, building strong presences on Dig and Reddit, and then tracked the engagement after the article went live. Now, by the way, this happened all before the product was launched. So Mint, at the start, was a media company with no revenue, only focusing on building an audience by delivering amazing financial articles to a young professional's audience. Now, in an interview with Big Think, Mint founder Aaron Patzer said that by the time the product was released, Mint Life was driving more traffic than their competitors were to their entire websites. So they were obviously building a a pretty um, loyal audience. Now, according to an article on Contently's content strategist site, Demand was so great that their system couldn't initially handle allowing all 20,000 email subscribers to try the beta version of the product. Mint took the hurdle in stride and then created even greater demand by giving readers who wanted early access to the product the ability to post an I Want Mint badge on their blog or social media profile, which a lot of them did. A lot of them did that, which helped boost the search ranking for Mint Life content and then generated even more buzz for the young company. So before selling to Intuit, Mint had the number one personal finance blog. And since so many Mint users found the content and signed up to the blog first, the cost of user acquisition was an unheard of below $1 per user. And to sort of sum up this whole thing, Mint would have never been able to uh, to do this whole thing uh, unless they created, without creating Mint Life, um, all the initial users were blog subscribers, and the valuation they received was much, much higher than normal because of the platform and the audience they built. So it's just, it's a great case study. It was amazing. That's a great story. Oh, isn't yeah. it amazing how fast? Just three years, they built this platform, were purchased by Intuit. Mint, the Mint platform is still going strong on Intuit. Uh, millions and millions of users. Uh, and, and it's just, hey, they started it by building an audience and then launched their product. It's an amazing concept. So It is. There you go. Look at that. It's a, It actually works. It's a, it works. It's a strange thing. It, it's amazing. <laughs> It, it, it's alive. It's amazing. It's alive. It's alive. Oh God! So, uh, slow week, busy week for you. What's going on? I am. It's the last of my quiet weeks. Um, I am. I am here getting ready. I start traveling next week. Um, I'm in Chicago next week, um, and then weirdly Chicago again the following week, um, and then mayhem ensues with uh, May, where I just go. Yeah, it, I go to Crazy Town um, on the travel thing, which will make recording this show interesting. Um, but yeah, so I'm for the next four days. I am I am enjoying the respite from the road and and getting a lot of writing done and getting some good thinking done for a new class I want to teach. And just it's yeah, I'm 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 super excited about life. So you, that's awesome. I love that. Um, well, this week is our annual golf trip. Oh right! Uh, so going That's down, right. going down to South Carolina, play a little golf, and and ha- eat some barbecue. We're going to have a tremendous Ooh. time, and yeah. uh, and I get back, and as a soon as I, time, as soon as I get back, uh, I'll be flying to Marketo Summit in San Francisco, which is where we'll be doing our next podcast from. So, oh, uh, yeah. So so then exactly, it's the same for me. This is sort of the the wrap up to uh, some downtime. 
and then uh, and then May is going to be uh, crazy busy for both of us. So very nice, so very nice. Go. Yeah, tell those Marketo people that I guess my invitation got lost again in the mail this year. I just I'm a little well. Actually, it's funny is I. I get most of your mail, your email. Yeah. Okay. And it said, uh, Dear Robert, we'd like you to speak. And I said, I'm Robert. It's all good. It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> Except for this Disney thing, it's all the same. Oh, that's happening. I can't wait for Tito's and Tonic and a great steak. It's I am I am ready, and there will be plenty of pictures. So now oh. you're going to have everybody hoping it happens just oh. so that they can get pictures of me serving you Tito's happen. and Tonics okay. and a steak. I just, but, but there has to be a minor correction just to get that price down a little bit. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well... That is, so if that wasn't enough, that's it for this episode. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And thank you again to our episode sponsor, PowerPost, uh, for helping make this little hour of magic and expectations possible. If you like this episode, number 179, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on that same iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. When you leave us a review or if you subscribe, just hashtag us up, won't you? This old marketing on Twitter. We'd love to thank you personally for that. Of course, you can also send us story ideas. Story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Hashtag us up as well at This Old Marketing on Twitter or you can send an email to This Old Marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, available on the show as we publish on Monday night and of course in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, and after Joe's Golf, remember... It's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.